15th, 2009 already, and um, the year is slipping by. I'm sitting in Nancy Garrett's house, and I'm really, I met her earlier this year, and, and um, Nancy, besides your work, you're also the wife of Louis Perenbaum, and he means a lot to us at QSO VSO. Um, and I'm looking in front of me and I'm seeing an award on the mantle here that just must have been given to him since he passed away. It says Outstanding Contribution Awards Award presented to Louis Perenbaum. What was that about? You must have just got it. Yes, this was for... Um said this after he died, unfortunately. He didn't know it was coming. Oh. Um, that was last year that they sent this. and um, But this year was their 10th anniversary, and so that's why they wanted to give a special award for outstanding contribution. Um, because Lewis did um, head oh. the task force for visible minorities to increase the um, the federal government representation by, to look more like the general public. Which I think means a lot to people like me who've come from different countries. Exactly. So exactly. it says here, the National Council of Visible Minorities in the Federal Public Service, in recognition of your contribution to the vision of NCVM, National Council for Visible Minorities. Okay, National Council for Visible Minorities. And it's got Canada symbol and Lewis Perenbaum on the name there. And I'm just going to go back and I'm thinking about a book I've just read that uh, talks about Lewis's life in Canada. Uh, but where did Lewis come from? He was born in a little garden town in... Um, of Johor Bahru of Malaysia, which is just at the end of the causeway from Singapore in Malaysia. <gasps> and um, he grew up um, under a, a father who was uh, the first uh, non-British doctor to be accepted into the, uh, as a gazetted officer in the British system of um, uh, medical care. Wow. Um, they asked him to start a uh, psychiatric uh, hospital. Mm -hmm. He was not a psychiatrist, but he did uh, understand, of course, mental health. Um, I shouldn't say of course, because I suppose not everybody does, but yes. he did things, very innovative things, such that when the government asked him to go to Europe and see how they were doing things in Europe, he came back and said, we're farther ahead here. <laughs> And so he had devised a, a vehicle that they could ride in all over this uh, group of villas. He took the uh, patients out of their um, chains and whatever else they were in and put them into villas. And they started gardens. And uh, there was a wall around the entire uh, estate but it was very beautifully kept so that they felt much more at home. Mm -hmm. And he invented a, a sort of uh, shower system for people who needed to shower but just wanted to uh, avoid that. And it was sort of like a car wash, as it turned <laughs> out. <laughs> and it, 
they just went into this place and, and got washed they, up. They got washed just like <laughs> with soap coming out and water coming out. So that's the hot kind of man that he was. And however, he believed that his son was not getting as good an education as he thought was necessary. He had great faith in his uh, his sister, Mrs. Uh, Lewis's aunt, who had gone with her husband to uh, Glasgow to start an international student center for the University of Glasgow. My goodness. So Lewis was sent at age eight and with them when they came to visit. However, he got diphtheria en route and was had to be taken off in Madras oh. and was sent back to, uh, to Singapore. But the next year, um, at Christmas, three days before Christmas, he was put on a boat to go to Marseille. And um, his uh, uncle uh, came and picked him up in Marseille and took him to Glasgow, where he was told that he could start school the next day. Mm. The, um, and so he grew up with peoples from all over the world coming yes. to this international center. So he felt at home with people from anywhere. So this, this young boy has this mm. wonderful art and, and this idea of internationalism percolating through his life mm -hmm. at that point That's already. That's right, already. My goodness. Yeah. So he learned, and he learned a lot about management and how to, uh, you, how to get people to do things you want them to do. Um, by, he invented networking before it became a word, really. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that he, he always could find somebody who could knew do something. that needed to be done and always was positive about it. The idea that you couldn't do it didn't enter his head. So That gives me a wonderful perspective and a vision, imagining this aunt and the father mm -hmm. and, and that type of life. What did he study? Did he, did he, he, he studied engineering for two years, and then he, oh. was, uh, then he was, the letters came after the Second World War. A letter came, um, as you, perhaps no, during the war um, all communication was stopped by the Japanese yes. who had invaded uh, Malaysia. And only then did he learn that his father had been uh, executed by the Japanese, um, oh apparently goodness. by, um, because of, um, I guess, a jealous colleague who had told the Japanese that he was harboring the British in the mental hospital. Uh, to protect them, oh and so they took him out and tortured him for a week, brought him back, oh. got all the staff of the mental hospital out, and uh, had them dig their uh, had them dig a grave, I think even. But um, and his brother, who was also a doctor, said, um, "Stop, take me, don't, don't, don't take him." And uh, they just said, be quiet or you'll get it too. And he didn't stop, so they were both killed. And un until, I think, I guess about uh, maybe 10 years ago, there was always, every week, a, a bouquet of flowers put on the grave, and nobody knew by whom. So, that's, so he then had to leave uh, engineering and go back to um, 
Malaysia. Mm -hmm. By great good fortune, he met somebody in London on, his, on, on the way who said, um, do you happen to know anybody who could manage my uh, business in, um, I think it was a, a trading business in any case, in Mersing on the coast of Malaysia. Um, and he, and Lewis said, well, in fact, I'm just on my way there. Um, if you think I can take the job, I'll be happy to do that because I don't <laughs> have a job. Oh my goodness, so on your way home he lands a job. He got, that's right. So he went and he spent, I think, two or three years in Malaysia again. Um, and his mother then, uh, I think, remarried. Um, <coughs> And so then he returned to London. Mm -hmm. he, he knew he couldn't get a job in Glasgow um, because of his color. And um, it took him quite a while, but he, he, his first job in London was with the uh, Indian High Commission. Oh and um, yeah, and uh, he, uh, with Krishna Menon, who is uh, not easy to get along with, mm. however. He uh, languished there until uh, he could get an, another job. And in the meantime, he kept uh, up his association with the um, student Christian organization that he had joined in Glasgow. And that is not a religious group per se. It was more like a student group, and that's how they got to know each other oh, I see, yes. and so on. And they uh -huh. did different uh, projects and so on. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but ultimately then he noticed that World University's uh, service of the UK was advertising for someone uh, to work with the refugees of the Second World War. And so he applied for the job. And I think at the time, somebody else had just applied that they felt was better suited. Uh, I doubt that that person was Indian, but at any rate, mm -hmm. um, as it happened, this person uh, got something else and decided not to take this job. And so then he was offered the job oh. and apparently did extremely well, such that when he was in India with a group of students, uh, I guess with uh, from Canada, I think that there were some Canadians there. Uh, who insulted the sultan, um, <laughs> Lewis managed to uh, smooth things over. Uh -huh. And this, I guess, was, had been noticed. And then I, there, there was a meeting, I think, in Geneva, and the uh, chairman of the board of WUSC actually um, asked him if he would be willing to come to Canada. And he thought about that, and he said, well, you know, maybe for six months. He, he would do it, um, but by that time they should find somebody else to sort of head up uh, WUSC. Mm. And so uh, the rest is history. He came to Canada, yes. and um, that was in it, the office was in Toronto, and I think it was pretty focused in Toronto. I don't think it was in too many other provinces, but so he crossed this country two or three times by train and um, met all kinds of people. He always uh, saw the presidents of each university. And so he got to know all these people. And um, 
he really sort of established WUSC. It existed before, but it didn't exist nationwide as far as I, I know. And <coughs> so then he was, I guess, invited to become Canada's first Secretary General of UNESCO. Yes. And he took that on, and that's when he um, became, I guess, acquainted with the uh, um, predecessor of QSO, and when they Keith Spicer yes. uh, left, he felt they needed some support for the volunteers when they went out to the field. Mm -hmm. And so he thought he needed to be institutionalized. So, and he also wanted to get an idea of which countries would be interested in having volunteers. So then he became the acting executive director and went around the world and to ask um, different governments if they would take um, volunteers. And I noticed in, in, in the notes on that, not all of them were very pleased with the idea. No, I see that even in Ian, Ian Smiley's book, mm -hmm. when he talks about Lewis's trip around mm -hmm. the world, yes, there were countries when that mm -hmm. uh, were not keen on the idea. No, they felt it was too patronizing, I think. Mm. Well, after the imperialistic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, for what they had all experienced, mm -hmm. at this point they're all thinking about independence or have gained independence. Mm -hmm. That's right. So he's, so, but in this book, by the way, I have to say, I read that Lewis, in 1959, made his first attempt uh, by writing to the Prime Minister about having something like QSO where I, I'm sure he felt like I did when I came to Canada that Canadians were really quite colloquial. They really didn't see the world and that he must have just, he had traveled the world by then mm -hmm. and he must have just, he was really inspired to get Canadians to get to know the world. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Um, I think that was a very strong uh, force behind his uh, dreams of getting uh, Canadians to know more about the world. Um, so he, he did, and, and in fact, of course, CUSO was um, established before Peace Corps, and yet everybody knows about Peace Corps, but yes. very few people in this country know about CUSO. Yes, but so. do you, here's the interesting thing to our audience, is that he didn't give up in 1959, oh, I know. he tried again and again, I keep reading about this. Oh yeah. He's resilient, he yeah. just doesn't give up. That's right, he finds another way. <laughs> and as I think I mentioned at the Lewis Perenbaum Award uh, celebration, I think of, uh, uh, of 07 when I went out because he was not able mm -hmm. to, to receive the, uh, or to, to uh, just say a few words uh, to the persons who did win, to the person who won. But after, many people came up to me and said, oh yes, Lewis taught me how to be um, subversive. Subversive. <laughs> so, so he would find a way of doing it, and he firmly believed that forgiveness is easier to get than permission. And of course, especially oh. with the federal government. Right. So, <laughs> so then he gone, goes on to this incredible career at CEDA as well. Yes, but he was at the World Bank for five years before that. Okay, so... He was actually the first, the bank's first um, uh, World Health, World Bank uh, liaison with the UN. 
So he was actually situated in Washington, but in fact was at the UN in New York uh, for the for the bank. Are you with him this whole time? No, 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 no. We didn't get together for uh, uh, till after that. No, his first wife, mm-hmm. and I kind of, I'm trying to remember when he, um, they got married, but it would have been after he arrived in Canada. But mm-hmm. um, dear Marie was wonderful. She was Jamaican. A beautiful woman, very talented. Um, she was a musicologist, and then she went on to study African history. She learned French and did her PhD thesis and, and a lot of work in Francophone Africa, wow. and particularly Mali. And so we had a lot of conversations about it because I loved my work in Africa, and I had been to Mali and, and many other Francophone countries, and we both spoke French. And um, it was very interesting, in fact, he, uh, he said, um, he would tell people that uh, we got along better than he did with either of us. <laughs> <laughs> the wives. So, <laughs> yeah, so, but uh, she actually went to live in the same uh, apartment as Lewis and three other guys, mm. um, or two other, three there were three of them, that's right, in, in Toronto. And I was just talking to one of them, uh, Graham Ferguson, who was the inventor of IMAX. And also, the, he was um, with WISC at the time when Lewis uh, became the executive director. And Graham said she was absolutely marvelous. She was just hilarious. And she put up with their antics all the time and had no <laughs> problem with it. But she was a wonderful person. Well, that must have been quite an apartment to have been in. Indeed. Because creating IMAX, and my eyes just popped out, as you notice, that's a very, very complex well, technology. Well, he, he was, that was his great interest. Uh, it, it wasn't really WISC, but, you know, he was there for, yeah. to do the job. But his great interest was in filmmaking. Wow. And he just recently did a one. He's retired, and he's sold the business, actually. Yes. But he recently did Under the Sea, which showed here in Vancouver. Oh, and it was an excellent did. one. He oh produced my that. Yeah. So, yeah. so Lewis then eventually <coughs> marries you. Do you ever get married? You, you, were you married? Because you have no. different names. No. You no. were his special lady. No, I wasn't. I, um, and in fact, it took him seven years to make up his mind. Well, uh-huh. I mean, I didn't wait around, finally. Yes. Um, I went, I, when I got back to Ottawa, because I left India for him, Yes. instead of saying two years as I expected to, I, I gave up a perfectly good job <laughs> and a planned exit via Afghanistan and Iran uh-huh. uh, to come back to Ottawa, yes. but he got cold feet, and so I thought, okay. Um, I should go and do my master's then. Oh, okay. And so, because of my family planning experience in India and uh, so on, um, the although the the program had closed for the for the term, the director uh, told me to come anyway, and somehow they would get me in at the University of Michigan. Oh, you went there for your master's? Mm-hmm. Oh, because wow. they had a very good population planning center. Wonderful. And it was well, it was quite well known. And uh, it was uh, Wendy Marson, as she was then known, um, 
you, you know, she was married to Brian Morrison. Oh, I've just talked to that's him. That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah, and so because uh, Brian was just left uh, uh-huh. um, when I arrived, actually, and well, I mean, shortly after, but and Wendy also, and she was, of course, working for the uh, Christian Medical uh, Association and Family Planning. Okay. So we'll get so. back, by the way, to those listening. Brian Marsden has a lot to do with the starting of QSO, uh, the starting of the budding of QSO here in yeah. British Columbia. Yeah, yeah, he did. And, yes. Uh, so um, anyway, I can't remember where I was now. Oh, so you, Michigan. Yeah, so well, I decided I better do something. I'm not going to stick around. <laughs> and it was Wendy, bless her, who said if I needed an, uh, um, an a a reference or something that George Brown would give him, give him, give me one. Oh, and uh, they were quite. <laughs> any rate, well, he was especially fond of her. So, oh, that's nice. any rate, uh, they they did, and uh, so the head of the population center said, "You just come." And so I went to work in New York. Uh, I could always get a job in New York. So, until the school started, and. Um, so I spent a calendar year there and uh, then came to Ottawa and got a job at the Canadian Nurses Association mm. as a research officer. Mm-hmm. And uh, So was Lewis in Ottawa at this point? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. had, yes. Actually, um, Morris Strong was president of CEDA at the time, yes. and he had tried to get Lewis for two years, yeah. but the bureaucracy, I guess, it was not happy about bringing people from the outside, you see. Yes, I saw that in the book and too. Yes, and uh, he, Lewis had already talked to him about um, CETA maybe funding non-governmental organizations because he firmly believed that non-governmental organizations could do things that governments in bilateral programs could not do uh, effectively. And so uh, but he would not come until he had an actual contract or um, acceptance, I guess, to come into the public service. And so it took two years before he did. So that's why, in fact, I'd finished my CUSO volunteer work, because he was still at the bank when our, during our orientation. Oh, okay. And he came and spoke at our orientation, you see. Oh, And all so right. then when, when Wayne Hubble introduced me, to uh, Lewis, or was going to, uh, and that's when I told him that Lewis had been so, such a good speaker at, at our orientation. orientation. Yeah. So he stays with Eve <coughs> for almost 20-some years. 22 years. Wow. That's right. As executive director for how long? No, he, he came in as the director for special programs. Okay. A branch, and... Uh, um, I think that was what it was called, or mm-hmm. something like that. That was the ones that uh, uh, was de- were dealing with the NGOs, huh? Yes, that, I mean, he started that, the whole program. And he actually started also, I mean, he, when he, his, I, uh, I read his terms of reference, actually. Uh-huh. And at that time, it actually said, including industrial cooperation. And it's very interesting because almost every president after that, I think, and all the bureaucracy fought against any program involving industrial cooperation. Mm. He fought harder for that than anything. 
and we finally got it. It has been one of the most successful That's of all. Visionary. So you know, it's amazing what a childhood yeah. with interesting people yeah. does to a human yeah. being. Well, his aunt and uncle both had a master's degree from Michigan. So, oh, he's from uh, an educated family. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Doctor, etc. So yeah. he yeah. does his CEDA work, and then he does he, he retire? Well, no, not then. He was uh, asked to come out to Vancouver to uh, become the advisor to the um, president of the Commonwealth of Learning, okay. the only uh, Commonwealth agency uh, outside of Britain set up to um, help developing countries establish um, distance and open learning programs. Another visionary um, thing. Yeah, well, the thing is that they didn't have somebody with a developing country experience mm. and um, or international development, I guess I should say more. But um, so he came out on loan for two years. However, at the end of two years, I think he wanted an extension and he went back to see the president. And I think before he could even ask, she told him. Um, <coughs> In case you're wondering, we're not uh, extending uh, <laughs> any. And so he took his retirement and kept on ad being advisor to the following president as well. Uh -huh. And then when the um, chairman um, retired from his job of, on the board of uh, the Commonwealth of Learning, then Sita actually put forth his name and um, the members of the Commonwealth then actually voted him in as the new uh, chairman of the board. Chairman of the board for CEDA. That's right. And it was wow. during that period that then he took on this job as heading this task force on um, for visible minorities in the public service. And that's what he's been recently and recognized. That's right. And this was, they didn't want to, to get a, a, a strategy. They wanted to get, or should I say, they didn't want a, they wanted a strategy rather than a report that just sat on the shelf. Yeah. They wanted to, to a timeline for X shall, shall be um, established and then um, Y will, at, at different levels of the public service, that you should, they should, in in fact, uh, um, hire visible minorities in positions, so it did become more representative. Oh, it's, oh, it's absolutely changed the uh, public service. Yeah, Nancy. In looking back at this amazing man's life and your life together, um, if you were to say one thing about Lewis Perenbaum from your heart of hearts about this man. I, I'll just mention one thing before you do. You went to receive this award and uh, you were very touched by two young people who came and, and knew his name in their 20s and, and had been affected you know, by all that he did. And I would say that I since sit here and I have heard, I heard about this man many years ago. Mm -hmm. And he was a face, a person of color that had um, helped those to integrate, to understand each other. He never kept, he never left that focus of bringing the world to Canada and Canada yeah. to the world, if I might summarize. Yeah, that. I think that's a very good 
summarization of uh, that period, but his, his job as mentor was also very, very critical yes. to him. He didn't even think about being a mentor, he just was. And this is why when he died, so many young people from around the world uh, wrote to say how he had changed their lives. And Isaac, uh, which you, know, you may be familiar with, um, actually then created an award for mentoring uh, in Lewis's name. Oh, okay. And that was done. He knew about that. They came, um, the head of Isaac came and visited him uh, before he died. And so um, he, uh, he knew about it, but it was being um, an, a, created for their annual meeting, I think, last year. Yes. And so okay. I went for that, actually, in to recently. Montreal, yeah. What, what, he, what uh, date and year did he pass away? Um, December 12th, 19, or 19, 2007. 2007. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can't thank you and him enough. And I know I'm sitting here in his home and probably sitting around some of the things. I look at this beautiful house and I see such intriguing pieces of art and collection and beautiful rugs and I'm sure that a part of Lewis's spirit is with us today and I want to say to you and him, thank you for all that you've done for CUSO and CUSO VSO as it's known today. Uh, just to summarize, 12,000 volunteers later and over mm. 30 million volunteer service hours overseas. One hour for every Canadian. Yes. I think Lewis would like that. Yes, he would. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Nancy. Thanks.